reading this morning from John chapter 11, beginning at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there, is, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Father, we ask your blessing now on the reading of your word and on this time of worship and study in your word. And we pray your blessings on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning and it's good to have you all here. We praise the Lord for your attendance. We've been studying the uh, Gospel of John, and we've come now to this uh, section from John chapter 11, which is a very important, uh, a very important part of John's Gospel, because it in this chapter. Jesus uses or has an illustration for everyone of what he has taught beginning back to chapter 6 all the way through. In chapter 10 we see that Jesus was teaching about himself being the good shepherd, that he gives his life for the sheep, that he will raise his sheep back to life even after death. There is a group in the United States that calls themselves the Dead Raising Team. It is led by a man by the name of Tyler Johnson. It is a group of quote-unquote Christian healers who base their work on Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Jesus, of course, in Matthew 10 was talking to his apostles. But the group claims that he's talking to everyone. As of 2014, the dead raising team claims to have raised or helped 11 people uh, come back to life with the power of faith and prayer. When asked who these people were, Johnson refuses to give their names or the stories behind these people. 
whom he has brought back to life. He will, however, teach anyone who is interested in the gift of raising the dead, he will teach them at his school of resurrection. There is another group called the Global Awakening Group who practices the same thing, and they are constantly looking for bodies to practice their art of resurrection on. One off-sighted case is that of an American surgeon who claimed to bring a patient back from the dead by praying over him along with the help of a defibrillator (laughs) at the same time. There have been many reports of those who claim to raise the dead uh, from ancient times up into our modern day. But the stories are fraught with errors and untruths. In this story that we find in John chapter 11, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, does not secretly try to raise the dead. He does it publicly, with, not with claims that cannot be unsubstantiated, but with, but with open miracle, right before the eyes of people who can actually see it take place. No one has ever been able to do that since, except the apostles. During the early days of the apostles, a few people were raised from the dead, but not very many. And even then, it was the apostles that did those things. As Jesus approached the tomb of Lazarus, he sees the mourners there carrying on like pagans. And he has an emotional outpouring. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. These words, deeply moved, have the idea of anger or condemnation or outrage. He is feeling these things on the, on the inside. These people act as if there is no hope when the hope is standing right in front of them. It says he was greatly troubled, which speaks of the intensity of his feelings and his emotions. He was angry over the sin that had caused death and possibly over the actions of the mourners themselves. This word is used in other places to speak of the Lord's emotions that came as a result of unbelief. Jesus now standing before the tomb burst into tears. His tears are an expression of his holy love for Martha and Mary and his pure and holy care and sympathizing as their high priest. It is the most genuine love found in the entire universe. His weeping is also an expression of what the tomb meant. It meant that sin had taken another victim. It meant that sin brought death into the human race and he is is seeing it is right there in front of him and it is in front of all of the people that day.
Casper Casper Krusiger, a friend of Philip Melanchthon, who was the uh, partner of Martin Luther during the Reformation days, writes this. No doubt the devil is trying to hinder him as he was assailed with various thoughts and as he in turn was fighting back against the devil at at uh, one time angry at the devil and another time hurting and weeping because of the enormous misery of humankind, which was burdened by sin and the wrath of God and the tyranny of the devil and the innumerable calamities and the death of the body. These are things he was thinking about in his great sadness. This miracle has a more significant role in the ministry of Jesus, more than any other that we find. Now, he raised other people from the dead, but none like this one. This is more than just the story of raising a dead person. This miracle is a word picture that has doctrinal importance to it. It illustrates the sovereignty of God in salvation like no other. Now notice in verse 38, when Jesus comes to the tomb, it says that he was deeply moved again. So he's feeling the same, he's feeling the same uh, emotions that he felt before. It was a, it was a cave. As many sepulchers were in that day. If you remember, Joseph of Arimathea had a cave that Jesus was laying in. And he says to the people there, take away the stone. A stone had been covered, covered the entrance of the cave. This is a picture of Fallen, a fallen humankind's plight. Here we have the dead imprisoned within the tomb of his own fallenness and sin. He is incapable of rescue from any other source than the mercy of God. He cannot break out by any measure of, of his own because he is dead. He is indifferent and unable to exact any force to redeem himself from the grave. The only hope of life is found in the mercy of God, invading the tomb, overcoming the death with all of its ugliness and corruption. But it is also a picture of the power of God to open the heart of the individual who is dead in sin, and imprisoned behind that tomb of sin. Notice that there are three commands given in the passage. First, there is the command to remove the stone. Second, there is the command of the raising of the body. And third, there is the command to remove the restraints or the wrappings and release him. So I want to look at each of these commands and apply them to the work of God in salvation as we see it and know it from the Scriptures. First of all, Jesus said, take away 
the stone. Imagine the disciples looking on at this scene. They know that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha then reminds the Lord that he has been dead for four days. However, when he says take away the stone, he employs the help of those that are there. Now, Jesus could have removed that stone. He could have just, with a thought of his mind, uh, the stone would have rolled away by itself or been moved by itself. But he employs the the help of people that are there. This is another picture of the work of God in salvation. Though people have nothing to do with the work in the heart when it comes to salvation, they are given the task of removing the stones, that is, preaching the gospel so that the uh, the good news of the gospel so that the world can know that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Until the t- and it'll be that way, God will employ the use of the work of people until the final time when the gospel is preached by the angels of heaven from chapter 14 of Revelation. Notice that there was an objection to his command to remove the stone by Martha. Martha said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. And it's true, (laughs) the decay would have putrefied the blood in the body. His internal organs would have began uh, to decompose and liquefy. There would have been bloating and an overwhelming odor uh, and, and smell that would have made everyone draw back and recoil. This is what death does. This is the ugliness of sin in its final in its final work is this not exactly a description of the spiritual rottenness of the part of man that is inside those that are not in Christ the outside the outside of the grace of God It demonstrates the power of Christ to restore the dead stench of sin to that which is whole and renewed and fit for the master's use. How often we look at people and think, they're too far gone. There's no use sharing the gospel with them. They're too too wicked. They've, They've gone too far. And some people think that about themselves. I've heard people say it. Oh, God can't help me. I've I'm, I'm, I'm done too many bad things. Martha's objection to the stone being rolled away so that the will of God can be fulfilled is found in many ways and different circumstances throughout life. <laughs> there are a thousand reasons that would cause us to withhold the gospel message from someone because we think that they've gone too far. But no matter, we must carry out our Lord's command and leave the work of that to Him. He is the only one who can raise the dead. 
He's the only one who can open the heart. When he gives the command for the cave, the stone to be removed, the stone is removed. The Apostle Paul believed that. He writes in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. Don't give up hope on those that you consider to be too hardened to believe the gospel. God is able to chip away that hardness. He is able to shatter the wall that people build around themselves. As the old hymn says, He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. We have a group that meets here on Thursday evenings to pray for those that prodigals, children, grandchildren that do not know the Lord. We don't give up on people. I've been guilty of doing that in the past. I'm sure you have too. So Martha still didn't understand what Jesus meant, that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead immediately. She's still thinking about a future resurrection, a general resurrection in which all the dead will be raised. So he says to her, did not I tell you that you would see, if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? Those are important words. Does he say that to us? Did not I tell you that if you believe, God will glorify himself, he will use your prayers, he will hear your prayers, he will do that which you think cannot be done or seemingly is impossible to do? He is trying to increase Martha's faith. He has already said to his disciples in verse 4, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified through it. He has said in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. And then again in verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Did not I tell you, Martha... Let's don't be too hard on Martha because we're just like her. The Lord tells us, He gives us promises and we just, sometimes we just don't believe them. And like He's saying to us, didn't didn't I tell you? Yes, He tells us. And sometimes He has to tell us over and over and over again before it sinks into our hearts that He is the one who brings these things to pass and not us. I used to worry a great deal about going at, witnessing to people because I was so afraid that I would say the wrong thing. I thought if I could just say the right thing, these people would be saved. But you know, God uses our foolishness, our fumbling, our mumbling, our, our not knowing what to say many times. 
he uses that. And I think he just does it to humble us and show how great he is. Our son was saved on a Wednesday evening after listening to a sermon or a teaching on tongues. Now think about that for a second. What is there in teaching on tongues that would convict anybody? But God used it. And that night he poured out his heart to the Lord. Don't count the Lord out. Did not I tell you? See, this is all summarized in verse 40. When Martha, when he said to Martha, did I not tell you that you'll see the glory of God? Martha then became silent and they took the stone away. And then Jesus It says, lifted up his eyes in prayer to the Father. And that shows the truthfulness and the simplicity and the sincerity of the Savior. He is praying as one sent by the Father to do the Father's will on earth. I can do nothing on my own, he said. I hear, I judge, my judgment is just because I seek not my will, but the will of him who sent me. I do these things because the Father tells me to do it. We heard a great (coughs) teaching this morning on the Holy Spirit in our fit time and how the Spirit related the Father's will to to Christ. All the time the Spirit was telling Christ what the Father's will was to do, and Christ did that. He is the mediator between heaven and earth. This prayer is prayed to show the closeness of the Father and the Son and to show all those listening that Jesus was with the Father and the Father was with Him. (coughs) I and the Father are one, He said in John 10.30. And in 36, he says, the Father sent me. So he's making a public affirmation that he had complete unity with the Heavenly Father. This was the very thing that the Jews wanted to kill him for. And and not many days before this. And now here he is back in, in at Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem, where he had been threatened to be stoned a few days earlier. And he is making the same statements again. And so when he said these things, it says, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The loud voice was there. He did that on purpose so that everyone would hear and know what he was about to do. Sometimes loud voices annoy us or startle us. 
But on this particular day, the Lord lifted up his voice. The word loud here means to produce loud sounds of great volume and intensity. And so he cries out for Lazarus to come forth. This is where the picture of God's sovereignty enters this miracle like no other place. It is the mark of great of the great power whereby the sinning soul that is far from God and in God's sight entombed in the darkness and wrongdoing of the decaying filth of sin returns to life and comes out into the light where Christ is. It has been speculated that if Jesus had not singled out Lazarus to come out, that every tomb would have been opened and every person would have come out of the tombs at the power and sound of his voice. And one day that will happen. Jesus has already promised it would happen in John chapter 5, verse 28. He said, one day all the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who are dead will come out of the graves. Some to life. And some to eternal judgment. Now it was the custom of Jews, of the Jews, to wrap the bodies of the dead. And it was a little different, it was a little different from uh, what we see in mummification uh, like down in Egypt and places like that. It was a little different. But they would wrap the body with strips of, of cloth, but there was a sheet that would have been The body would have been laid on a long sheet and the sheet would have been folded from the head and then the foot. And then they were tied. Their feet were tied. Their arms were tied to their sides. And then spices would have been poured on the body uh, prior to all of this, would have been poured on the body to uh, keep down the odor, the immediate odor of decay within the first 24 hours. But by the time Jesus came to the tomb and the stone was opened, Lazarus' body would have well surpassed and overpowered the spices that had been placed on him. But we're not told that there was an odor. Maybe there was. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe Lazarus had already been brought back before The tomb door was opened. We're not told those details. But what we do see, rather than the stench of and the smell of rotting flesh, what we do have is newness of life. That's what we see. Now I want you to notice some words that he uses here. I want you to notice the words... Come out. Two different words that he uses here. It's not a single word. Two different words that illustrate what took place on that day. The word out means moving or appearing to move away from an enclosed place to a location that is not closed. We would say, I came out Of the building. We were in the building and we went out of the building into the open spaces or to a particular place. 
This word is used in other places. So we have some examples. For example, in Luke chapter 62, when Peter heard, when Peter had made his third denial of the Lord, it says that he went out and wept bitterly. So he left the the place where he was gathered around with those people by the fire. And they said, oh, you're one of them. And he he said, I don't even know the man. I've never met the man. And then the rooster crowed and Peter knew. And so he left that place and he went out to another place and wept. It's used in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, where Paul and Silas were placed in jail at Philippi and they they prayed and the place was shaken their chains fell off and the the uh, the guard ran in and said sirs what must we do to be saved and then it says then he brought them out from inside the prison he brought them out to where they were and asked them the question So you have this descriptive, this descriptive word. There's another one here, the word come, come out. This is the word that finishes the picture of God's sovereignty. It is an ad, it's an adverb. And in this context, it involves not only the movement toward Jesus as the speaker, but of the actual movement to the place of where Jesus was standing. Jesus is outside the tomb. He is speaking to the dead man in the tomb. Come out. Literally, he is saying, Lazarus, come here to me. Come to where I am. To where I'm standing. How can Jesus make this command? He can make the command because He is the resurrection and the life. He has the power of life and death. He is the one that is sovereign over our lives. It is a testimony of of the power of the gospel. To bring to life those who are dead spiritually. It is picturesque of the what we call the effectual call. Now that's different from the general call. The general call is the gospel being preached to a group of people and it goes out and everyone hears it. That's general. The effectual call is that that gospel is preached to everyone and it It works on and opens the heart of some people in that group. This is true of every time the gospel is preached. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) In fact, we see that. I've got water here. <clears throat> I 
I might have to get you to stand up and just talk to one another. <coughs> this time of year is very bad on me. <coughs> See, Dave's got one here. <coughs> Oh, it's made me cry. (coughs) Where was I? (coughs) It's a a testimony. of the power of the gospel to bring life to those who are spiritually dead. We call it the effectual call. You can see it in many passages. I'll give you one. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. Peter, on the day of Pentecost preaching his sermon, says this. For the promise is for you and your children, that's the Jews, and for all who are far off, that's the Gentiles. Everyone out of those groups, there are only two groups in the world, Jews and Gentiles, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Out of the Jews, God will call some Jews for salvation. Out of the Gentiles, he will call some Gentiles for salvation. Now that number is very large. But it is not as large as the ones who follow the broad road that leads to destruction. Far more enter there. <clears throat> this, is, this effectual call is a summons that one is being addressed by the living God. And this address is filled with grace to the sinner. Who then, in light of regeneration, answers the call and comes to Jesus willingly. And with confidence that he will receive them. Did not Jesus say, all that the Father gives me will come to me? And those who come to me, I won't turn them away. I'll never turn them away. They will be with me forever. And And in fact, I'll raise them up on the last day. You see it all coming. You see all, all of the prior things that Jesus has said coming to pass Here in this chapter, as an illustration, the scripture is filled with this effectual call. For example, think of Abraham, who lived in the darkness of uh, of sin and in Ur as an idolater. And all of a sudden one day, God speaks to him and Abraham is changed. From an idolater to a God worshiper. Did did Abraham do that on his own? He certainly did not. 
For he, like Adam, was dead spiritually until God opened his heart to bring him to himself. Or think of Samuel in Eli's house. Or of Simon Peter on the shores of Galilee. And Jesus said, follow me. And Peter left his nets and followed. That's the effectual call of God who who opens the heart of the believer and causes them to follow him. So when the omnipotent Christ said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus had to come forth. And he came forth willingly. Not against his will, but with his will, in his own will. Because he now hears the voice of Christ. In fact, he was totally helpless in the grave. He, he had no power to decide to get up from the tomb and leave. He could not affect his own resurrection. In fact, he was indifferent to everything. Lying there in the grave, he had no ability to think about anything. He couldn't think. His brain had be, begun to deteriorate and, and turned to liquid. The only thing that could bring him out of that tomb was the voice of the Son of God, the voice of Christ. So I ask you, is he calling your name? Do you hear him? And will you arise in your heart and follow him? Okay, so the effectual call. There are at least two effects that took place here on this day. The first effect was an instant rejuvenation of decaying flesh being restored to its former state. Now think about it for a second. He's been dead for four days. As we described a while ago, the body is deteriorated, it is bloated, it is, it is putrefied. Uh, you, <clears throat> unless you've been around something or someone dead for that length of time, you cannot begin to imagine the ugliness of this. But now he is brought back. He's back to his former state. He has has new life in him. You see, this is what Jesus does. He brings new life, a fresh and clean. The old, stinking, sinful life is gone. And the the person is new, recreated new in Christ. This is what Paul talked about in Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that, with the purpose that, he would no longer be enslaved to sin. He says in verse 13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members, your body, to God as instruments of righteousness. 
That's the first effect. We're changed. It is a supernatural work. Men can't change themselves spiritually. Oh, they can change a lot of things. They can reform a lot of things, but they cannot enact that spiritual change in the heart. Only God can do that. The second effect is found in verse 44. The dead man came out of the tomb at the command of Christ. That's what it says. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. His face wrapped with a cloth. So, how did he come out? You see, this is what this is called is irresistible grace. What is grace? It is, it is unmerited favor that God gives to sinners who don't deserve it. He looks on them with favor. They've done nothing to deserve it. They could never in a million lifetimes ever do anything to deserve it. But God gives it freely to them in spite of their sinfulness. That's grace. Now mercy is what God does not do to the sinner that he deserves to have done. So what do we mean when we say effectual call and irresistible grace? Here's what it means. It means that the dead come out of their deadness at the command of Christ and they are inexorably drawn to him and they cannot get away. In fact, they don't want to get away because their heart has been changed. Now, I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I ran from God. I ran from Him every way I could. I didn't sometimes know that I was running from Him, but I did. And so did you. We did everything we could to keep Him from finding us. But one day He found us. And He spoke the command to us. And we saw him, we saw ourselves as sinners, and we saw him as the Savior. And when I saw Christ as the Savior that first time, I could not keep away. I had to go to where he was. And that's what Lazarus did. He came out. But how did he come out? He was bound or restrained with his feet tied together and his arms bound to his waist. Have you ever tried to move that way? You ever have, you know, sometimes kids like to play. I remember one time my grandchildren wrapped me up like that. And you, it's hard to, it's hard to walk. You can't, I mean, how do you, how do you walk with your feet tied together? And your arms to your side, which your arms are are balancers, so you're off balance. So he's restrained, he's wrapped head to foot. Now that would have been a familiar sight to those that had bound him up.
But as he appeared to those who were there, having his feet tied together and his arms tied at his waist, he was, he was able, either one or two things happened. He was able to waddle or shuffle his way out to Jesus. Because remember, come out means come here where I'm standing. Come here to me. Or, he was supernaturally brought out by Christ. And many believe that Lazarus didn't necessarily have to walk or shuffle, but that he was just brought out supernaturally to where Christ was. And they called it a miracle within a miracle. I don't know which one it was. But I know this. That when Jesus told him to come out, he came out. <clears throat> and this is how it's this is how it actually happens. Jesus came, he came to Jesus as as do all of those who receive the call of grace. Salvation enables the sinner to will and to do that which is spiritually good and pleasing to God. And that brings us to Jesus' third command. Unbind him and let him go. So, what does this mean? Well, it means he was free. It means he was, he was free. They unbound him and Lazarus went back home. A whole man, alive and well. No longer would he be restricted by his grave clothes. Now he would be free to live new life that Jesus had given him. It's, this is one of the greatest pictures of salvation. I think about the effects of it all. Jesus comes and he raises this dead man and he calls him to himself and then he frees him to go and live for Christ. And that's what happens. It's the greatest picture of God's sovereignty that there is in Scripture. Is it any wonder that this is the last, the last miracle that Jesus actually does? It, it, it's, it's reminiscent of all that He is, of all that He's done in the past, of all that He's said. This is what He does. He raises the dead to life. The dead spirit of people everywhere who hear the gospel and God opens their heart like He did Lydia in Acts 16. Like He, he opens their heart to receive the gospel and that gospel changes them. He gives them new life. And they are willing to follow Christ. They want to follow Christ. They fall in love with Christ. Unbind him. Let him go. This is the case for everyone who is in Christ. The old sinful nature is dead. And it died with Christ. And the new person created in Christ Jesus lives, having been resurrected with Christ... To newness of life, as Romans 6 teaches and as Ephesians 2 teaches. One more point to be made <clears throat> is that Jesus 
saves the individual supernaturally and sovereignly. But he uses the individual in their process of new life. It is true that we cannot bring the dead to life. Only Jesus can do that. But he does use people to move the stone. He does use people to unbind Lazarus. And that's, that's true of all of us. It's why we're here. It's why we're a church. It's why we come together. Because we were not meant to be left on our own. We need other people. We need their encouragement. We need their wisdom. We need their rebuke sometimes. We need, we need people so that we, can, so that we can use the gift that God has given us to help one another. People need to be taught who they are in Christ Jesus and how to live as God commands in His Word. This is why the church exists. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The church is not for the unbeliever. The church is for the believer. The gospel that we carry is for the unbeliever. And so we come together on the Lord's day. And and at other times we come together as a church. And we build each other up. And we, we teach each other from His Word. What a great salvation our God has given us. And Lazarus is the picture of that. Do you know him today? If you were to die today, if today's the last day you'll live, do you know that you'll be with Christ? If not, trust Him today. Trust Him right now. Repent of your sins right now in your seat where you are. Don't wait. You have no guarantee you'll get out of this building. Do it now. Trust Christ. Follow Him. And you'll have the newness of life that He gave to Lazarus. Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word. And we pray, Lord, that You would bless this passage and to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you, would, that you would speak to those that do not know you this morning, that you would open their hearts like you did Lydia of old to receive the gospel, to, to receive the good news that Jesus died for sinners. I pray that, they would, that those people would trust you even now, just confess their sins before you and and. Repent and follow you. Give life, Lord, we pray. Thank you for this Lord's day and for the blessings of it. In Jesus' name, amen.